The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and Tua T Fitness. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome, one and all, to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Batman Edition. We're talking Batman forever today. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, my compadre, my partner in the misery of these last two movies, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello, Tom. Master Wayne's Dead Wives. <laughs> Doesn't really work on its own as a quote- quotable, but <laughs> it's too good a line to pass off. Plus, wow. plus, it's not exactly a cornucopia of quotables. No. This movie. This movie is weak fucking sauce. Yeah. The the it's the. It's the middle child of uh, of the Batman of the fir- right. Batsicle One. I told you it was super easy for me. Two, three, four. Already shifting. We'll see when you argue for the next movie. Yeah, I think. Yeah, because I... I think we're gonna say much the same thing about this one, but you're gonna be just just a little more complimentary and yeah. able to see. I think you're going to give it the benefit of the doubt where I'm going to come down harder now. I think it's going to be it, really. Right. Because uh, there's a few things in this movie that I like. But let's start there. They are so fleeting moments. So we don't depress moments. everyone. They are fleeting moments. Let's start there so we don't depress everyone outright. Like, you know what's <laughs> my... You want to know my favorite moment in the movie? Sure. I mean, it'll be a short conversation. It will be. Uh, it's from... From the very first time I saw this movie, the one directorial thing (laughs) I really liked in this movie is right after a terrible thing in this movie that I didn't like where (laughs) Batman... You're already talking yourself out of the one good thing (laughs) in this movie. I can't help it. But he, uh, I forget what he jumps off. He jumps off, you know, four <laughs> four thousand feet in the fucking air. Doesn't that just say it all? Into uh, tubing that the bad guys have set up, right? That puts baby in the corner, <laughs> and they have let go of gas, and now Two Face is going to launch. I don't know, rocket launcher, just a fucking flamethrower or something. Just to be in the movie. Yeah. Batman throws his cape over himself. You see a little button push that clearly is showing you he's getting insulated from the terrible heat. But then there's this moment where he jumps through the fire and you can see sweaty face Mm. and it's just at the right angle and it looks fucking great. It's a hero moment where I think the hero has survived and I fucking love that that one moment. The first time I saw this movie, almost saved the whole movie for me. That's doesn't how much I th- like that one moment. Doesn't he then say nothing like a bad case of gas? Batman or Two Face? I think so. 
Oh, man. I think it's Batman, because I've got a note here that says that line was handed out without any thought to character validity. <laughs> if he did, then I I washed that away from my memory. What was the awful thing before? Because if, 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 if it was an awful thing before and an awful thing backwards, that's like a... That's like a sandwich where the bread is made of shit. I can't even remember. But there's a nice piece of cheese in between. (laughs) (laughs) It's a reverse shit sandwich. It is. (laughs) Where the fuck were they before that happened? He was somewhere with Dr. Chase Meridian, wasn't he? Well, you'd think you'd be able... you think, as a viewer, you'd be able to see because everything is lit in neon. Oh, but somehow it makes it harder to see what's on screen. I'll say. All right, like we're we're getting deep into it already, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't guessed yet, Tom and I are here talking about the 1995 film or sequel. I I will say, Batman Forever, directed mm-hmm. by Joel Schumacher. I know Tom and I know plenty of Joel Schumacher, but for those of you that don't. You will recognize movies that you probably like very much and a few movies that you fucking hate. He directed, Tom and I both like, Falling Down. He's done a couple of Grisham movies. But I'm not a neo-Nazi, just to... Right, just to... Just just to to clarify. Clarify. He's done a couple of Grisham movies, both The Client and A Time to Kill. Oh, that's right. The Lost Boys. He's he's a winner in my book for all time. Uh, as Great far as I'm concerned, movie. yeah. Saint Almost Fire, DC Cab. Oh, okay. Then you get into the eight millimeters of the world. <laughs> Phantom of the Opera, the one with Emmy Rossum and Gerard Butler. You reading that resume is like my experience of watching this movie. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh God. Exactly. Oh. Oh. A movie I thought I'd hate that I quite liked was Phone Booth, and then maybe one of I the... like Phone Booth a lot. That's Sorry, a I got good very movie, loud there. right? <laughs> I like that movie. But that uh, is uh, that's good Colin Farrell and good Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, Joe Schumacher yeah. knows how to do good Kiefer Sutherland, and that is not something every director can say. Agreed. And then we finish up with bringing uh, bringing Jim Carrey back into his life with the number twenty three. Uh, I don't know what that is. Oh. I never need to know. And I never will. I think you should be forced <laughs> to watch it. Nope. Is it a sequel? No. Then fuck it. <laughs> All right. We talked in the last Were movie. there 22 films before that? <laughs> it's a Bond movie, Tom. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> it's Bond 23. So, wait. Jim Carrey was in. He Jim was Carrey James was Bond. in Skyfall? Yeah. He's like mind Niven. you, I, mind you, I probably like it more than I like Skyfall. Man, fuck you and your hatred of Skyfall. Of course, I haven't seen it since the theater, but I remember that being a great movie. But it's unfortunately, so we are talking about Batman Forever. All right, Batman Returns, eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie. What? Oh, 30... oh, sorry, Batman Returns. Sorry. Yeah. This movie, thirty-nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, which to good. Me, well, let's feels generous but it does but i i know there's enough people who like this movie yeah i i think i agree with you uh this movie had a budget of a hundred million dollars so 20 million more than batman returns 
clearly they spent that money on, like you said, neoning the city. <laughs> they didn't spend it on their miniatures, I can tell you that. Yeah. The Chandler Group, shame on you. <laughs> Every miniature in this movie looks like a toy in the bath. <laughs> Shame on you, Matthew Perry's company, the Chandler Group. <laughs> that's oh. my big. That's my big overall note for the movie. Well, Sadly, this movie garnered a hundred and eighty-four million dollars in the USA. Yeah, which is you know it outpaces Batman Returns by a little more than twenty million, but three hundred thirty-six point five million worldwide. Which speaks to your suspicion that it was the the worldwide market that really made this a runaway hit. Yeah, and I maybe the worldwide market opened up more in the years between the sequels. I don't know. This but... was an outrageous success, and I mean outrageous in every sense of the yeah, word. Exactly. <laughs> this movie had no right being this successful. This movie being a success is outrageous. But it's, I guess... Partly, I mean, it speaks to that baffling point of view that people seem to have that that Batman Returns was a misstep and that what they're doing here is closer to what people want from a superhero movie. Well, and to your point, how how long was it before we saw Batman in in Batman Returns? 13 minutes or? 13 minutes and then another 20 before he came back. Right. So we see, we wait 13 minutes to get any glimpse of him clearly studio note to Joel Schumacher was knock that shit off. Right. I want to see nipples and asses and I want to see batarangs and I want to see devices and toys. Well, that's the, the other, first of all, don't lay the blame for the bat nipple at Batman and Robin. Oh, I won't. No, but people do. That's like the the word. That's like the thing that they most make fun of for Batman and Robin. It's like, nope, started here. Fuck you. <laughs> this movie's problem that it had to carry. Um, I think, I I think that note was longer. Okay. And I think that note said, put as much bat front load this with as much Batman as possible but make sure people don't know it's Val Kilmer and not Michael Keaton. <laughs> because I I really do think they are actively concealing the change of actor in this opening sequence because of how little we see Val Kilmer's face in a way that would make us think it was it wasn't Michael Keaton. It does not pass the demented grandma test of <laughs> like not knowing it's a different actor. You think? Well, vocally the same, facially the same. He's in the mask. He's in the outfit. They're highlighting the accoutrements of Batman, the homogeny of Batman, not the actor. Um, if I was Val Kilmer, I'd be on set like, why are you only shooting me in long and medium shot? Why am I not getting any close-ups? Yeah, but he's got that scene right at the front where... He's, t- he's, you know, poor Pat Hingle. But... I think in pajamas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sounds like a Morrissey song. Pat as, Hingle uh, yeah, in pajamas. As, as, you know, playing Commissioner <laughs> Gordon, who for some reason has 
enlisted the help of Dr. Chase Meridian for all, <laughs> all, thing, all things super villain related. I, I, I think I, I think got it, big problems with that whole first scene. First of all, he, the way Val Kilmer, if it was Val Kilmer, looks <laughs> coming in on some kind of vine or rope. I suspect no. Holy shit. That looked a mess. Then he gets there, and the first... We talked about gender politics in the last movie and how Ugh. fucking great everything that surrounds Michelle Pfeiffer and her character of Selena Kyle was in Batman Returns. Agreed. Immediately dumped in this movie for Dr. Chase Meridian essentially announcing herself as wet and ready for Batman the second she lays eyes on him. Yeah. It's, it's a like, you know, we're, we're, we've been trying to figure out for a, at least four years now why Hollywood's been as fucked up as it's been with its gender politics. Boy, does this movie give you a test case as to why. What's even my note is in my eyes, why is she sex kitten Kidman? Right. This is a doctor. Well, that's the that's the element that I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's depressing that we've gone backwards with the gender politics. Absolutely. It's also, I think, depressing that you know, and this 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 goes to the heart of my big problem with this movie. This is a a superficial movie that wants to dress itself up as something that's a bit more important, a bit more complex than it is. And having yes. her be a psychologist is dressing up the fact that, you know, she is, like, sex object. But they're trying to put a spin on it where it's like, no, she's just in touch with her sexuality because she's a psychologist. Bullshit. I don't think they're even doing that. Or, or Oh, I think that or, they're or, or certainly mean, not doing it well. There's parts of this movie that are like Hitchcock spellbound <laughs> in terms of what they do with, like, repressed memories. And, yeah. and it's all... But that's his repressed Disingenuous, memories. artificial nonsense. She is presented as a groupie. Yeah, I mean, I I put down, and this, you know, this is, I I, I put down that, uh, that in some senses, not many ways in which this movie loops back to the original Batman, which is what you entirely expect it to do after Batman Returns was not a huge hit, like a huge, huge hit. Mm-hmm. Um but I was like, oh, they're circling back to someone who's like physically and behaviorally more like the Kim Basinger, Vicky Vale character. But I think that's that's kind of that's not very fair to Kim Basinger, who was like a photojournalist yeah. um, and wasn't like wasn't like uh, I love that horn, horny for backcome from second yeah, one. This uh, this doesn't bode well because we're you know early into this podcast because I I want to talk about Batman Returns again, but I love that moment when he and Selena Kyle are on the couch and she says, what was she, stewardess or something else, you know, that sounds demeaning? Right, and he stuck right. up for her and was like, she's a photojournalist, actually, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, and uh, so I, I, I think the intent is to go back to that model, but this is a far less... Uh, Successful. Liber- ...liberated version yeah. of, of that. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm... I'm I was curious as well, like the the opening titles. The W we get the Warner Brothers logo, mm-hmm. right? 
It goes to sepia, as you might expect you, it to yeah, in a right. Tim Burton movie. And then it goes. Then we get a neon-lined bat. This is almost like the the authorial journey of the franchise. It's like, but we got Warner Brothers, my... Tim Tim Burton's Batman, Joe Schumacher. Yeah. My my <laughs> note was, flying credits have me worried. Superman, and and it took me back to Superman. Right. Yeah. Well, that that's it. I think I think it's on whether it's the studio's radar or it's Joel Schumacher's radar, there's more of a sense of trying to build a DC universe here than I felt that I ever got from, from the Burton. No. Movies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the next movie, they kind of reach out to Superman. Yeah. Uh, fleetingly, but and obviously what came afterwards with, uh, with justice league and, and the like is, uh, I think, I think there might've been a back of the mind. Sense World of that building here kind too. of thing. Yeah. I think so. Um, and then Gotham City. Oh, Gotham City's a fucking mess in these two movies. Which, structurally, fairly similar to Burton's vision, but what they've done is they've flooded it with color and light yeah. and neon. To the point where it couldn't be more different. And taken away the retro look of mm-hmm. it, too. So it feels immediately more contemporary, more like a bustling modern metropolis. Whereas, you know, as we talked about, Burton's felt like it was stuck in the kind of mid-century America stylistically. Um, Yeah, it's a strange... I mean, it's... I guess... There's no reason why Schumacher should be hanging on to Burton's idea of Gotham City. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. I mean, it's his movie. Move on. But I just don't. I would, I, have just... Moved, I would have moved on more in the Batman and Robin style of like weird, like where the architecture doesn't make sense. No, not, <laughs> because, not he, one because here bit. I see, I see. It feels like they built over Burton's Gotham City with mad stuff. Like I get that from the next... both these movies, though, but... I don't know, that observatory in the next oh, one, Oh, the observatory is... is just beyond common sense. Uh, so I like that it goes a bit more mad. Here it's just Burton's thing lit in neon with uh, erotic sculpture. That's like the big addition here. Okay, so... <laughs> Here's an interesting thing for you. My question... Just for me? Well, just in general, because I'm looking at a note here where there's there's a moment where I said, I know the rest of this movie will suck. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? It was the moment in the very beginning when he's battling Harvey Two-Face... And right. I mean, I'm putting and I'm putting aside a lot that's, of shit. That's late to yeah. know this movie's gonna suck. But uh, we're putting a, aside a lot of bullshit, right? Oh yeah. You know, I'm giving this movie plenty of leeway to try and you really are get, get me on its side. The neon line bat was my yeah. cutoff, by the way. We go on. <laughs> but when they when they escape on the chopper with that safe, and he's got mm. he's got. Uh, I, I don't know the actor's name, but that well-known character actor who's playing the security guard with the hearing aid. Sure. Once you know? again, complaining about his salary. Yeah. So he, 
somehow miraculously decides to climb outside of this safe, pull out his his bat torch, and manages to cut the chain at the exact right moment for that safe with a human being attached to the outside of it right. to go hurling back towards the earth, hit the fulcrum, and go right back into the hole that was created when it left the mm. bank. I thought, okay, we're far removed from a Tim Burton Batman movie now. Yeah. It sort of go it fuck sort yourself. Of renders, this movie's gonna suck. <laughs> it sort of renders pointless the fact that you know Batman Returns was the only Batman movie to contravene science with the origins of Catwoman. It's like, what's the point if you're gonna have a scene like that in your movie? <laughs> right. You know, it might as well not be about science. Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, you know, just I don't know why I'm defending the movie at all, but. I appreciated how much this opening sequence there's a lot I didn't like about it but it it was definitely channeling the 60s Batman TV show the camera angles, the editing the way the scoring has those musical punch notes in there. That's another one of my notes though I hate the tilted camera yeah. angles of this movie. Well, no wonder you, you dislike Batman and Robin more. Yeah. Because the Dutch tilt is basically the entire right. yeah, movie. Exactly. Batman the, and Robin. Yeah, the, oh, man. Yeah. I don't like it. I, I don't like the fact that this scene is, in, in other, in apart from, you know, recalling some of that nice excess of style from the TV show, uh, completely unremarkable. And on the nose in a way that you know, comparing it to Batman Returns. It's like, Batman Returns is not, doesn't have visual subtlety because it's expressionistic, right. which doesn't allow for that. Uh, it's all about stark contrast. But here, having a, a hearing aid and a giant neon eye, it's like, yes, I get that this film is going to be loud and obnoxious. visually blinding. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, visually obnoxious, exactly. Uh also, it's also remarkable, like, don't you think? You know, because you know, Batman Returns is ninety two. This is ninety five. So obviously, you have to wait. Some of us probably, you know, with bated breath for the next Batman movie to come out. But mm-hmm. when you're able, like us, with this podcast, to watch them back to back to see, yeah, the length of road traveled between these two movies. Yeah, I mean. It makes me sad. Yeah, but also, like, having those vast differences, but not leaning into them, not leaning into the potential of that, which is what I really hate about this movie. Like, it's still... Like, nothing... This is not about Val Kilmer as an actor, but the way he's been directed and the way that that the costuming and the design works... They're trying to keep him as Michael Keaton's Batman, like a derivative of that. You're right. Yes. And that is, you know, I mean, it's like it's uh, like Michael Bean, you know, going to finding out that there's a like that he's not going to be in Alien 3. 
but that there's going to be a full body uh, dummy of him in the movie yeah, and right. calling his agent and saying, make that stop now. You know, if I was Michael Keaton, I'd be like, <laughs> you know, Val Kilmer is not allowed to act like me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he can't be my Batman. He needs to be his own Batman. And I just, I, yeah. I just hate the, you know, it's like you compare this to like a, like a Bond movie or, or any movie where they change the actor midway through. They're not doing that. They're almost as if they want to get get to the end of the movie and just get through it. Mm-hmm. So people kind of accept it, but they, they don't do anything to differentiate him. He's just like, they're setting him up to be a placeholder, and I think that's fucked up for him and for us. And, well, and near as I can tell, that's what happened with the filming of this movie. He did not get along with Joel Schumacher. Schumacher did not get along with him. Schumacher mm. has kind of famously said that Val Kilmer did two great things for him. One, he agreed to be Batman. And two, he agreed to never be Batman again. Mm. And I think that kind of sums up this movie. But let's take a break and then we'll come back <laughs> and we will continue talking about Batman Forever and it's not even mentioned Jim Carrey. Not yet. We're not there. We're not to the bulk of the problems of this movie. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back after this. I like to think I know something about beer. But nowadays, even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the 1995... Joel Schumacher sequel. I thought you were going to say Bat- Joyless when you said Joyless. <laughs> Joy- I was like... <laughs> Joyless Schumacher. You know, this, this movie is a lot of things, Batman Forever, but I don't know that it's Joyless. So, we skipped over the introduction of Two-Face, and I know you have a lot yes. to say about Tommy Lee Jones. Do you want to set the ball rolling? Look. <laughs> this is an interesting preface. <laughs> he won't he won't he can't like hunt you down and kill you. He might. He's not that character from No Old Country for Old Men. He's the he's the sheriff right. who has dreams. He's the sheriff. Yeah. 
I mean, when you talk about Tommy Lee Jones, you're talking about one of our great actors, right? 100% agree. Yes. And I think in the last, maybe it was in our introductory episode, we alluded to the hamming up by Jim Carrey in this movie. And, but then you remarked right after that, by the way, not the worst offender of that. No, I think he's way worse than Jim Carrey in this. And what I had said was Jim Carrey is playing Jim Carrey. He's doing the Jim Carrey shtick far more Eh. than he's doing the Riddler. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Mm. Yes, Tommy Lee Jones is doing a shtick in this movie that for me just doesn't work. Right, agreed, agreed, agreed. Is... Is half of his problem just wardrobe <laughs> and makeup, though? The problem is it's two-face, not one-face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I speaking of his... Because I don't intro, think it does him any favors, the wardrobe to, to, in this movie. To your, to your exact point, I wrote when he's introduced, when he is... Um, essentially torturing a security guard. Mm -hmm. That's how we first see him. I thought, wow, he's real. Bear in mind, we've only seen one half of him at this point. He's in profile. Yeah, but you can still see. No, listen, listen. In profile. It's not done well. (laughs) No, in profile, he's, I was like, he's effective, disturbing, genuinely troubling (laughs) until his other face appears And we get the Tiger King jacket reveal. Right, yeah. <laughs> and at that point, really, his performance is all over. Yeah, because it's, it's done at that's that moment, all you get, right? That's all you get for the rest of the movie. He goes from zero to uh, 20,000. Yeah, not to 100, to 20,000, right. To 125%. Um, and in terms, I mean, again... As the movie goes on, that in itself is a problem. Once you factor in Jim Carrey to that, um, he doesn't share the screen well with Carrey in any way. Because he's either falling into Jim Carrey's shadow, and when he gets his bit of the scene, he overcompensates. Mm -hmm. So we're getting the worst of both worlds. Yeah, right. Added to the fact, I mean, we've already mentioned it, that you just do not believe that he finds Riddler funny, which is part of what he's supposed to be doing. Right. Is looking like... Logistically, that's what's supposed to be happening. But you can tell he does not enjoy this man's company. To the point, Tom, that one of my notes that I found on IMDb was... He so disliked Jim Carrey that at one point Jim Carrey, as Jim Carrey, off set, before a shot was going to occur, said, How you doing, Tommy? And Tommy Lee Jones wept, fell to his knees, got up, hugged Jim Carrey and said, I just hate you. I or I not hate you. I said I just don't like you. I'm sorry. I just don't like you so much. I cannot condone your buffoonery. And all of that is so evident on screen. Yeah. 
so it's more, it's, present. It's more evident that when William Shatner and James <laughs> Doohan are, t- are in scenes in the Star Trek movies. Literally, you know, as soon as it cuts, someone's going to punch someone else. But here, but you're, but what's interesting about that is it, it is not even the sense of these two guys really hate each other. It's the sense of it's that they hate each other. They have to be in the movie together, f- like more than anyone else in the movie. They're yeah, going right. to the hip of the movie, and they're just defeated about it. <laughs> it's the defeat that is the sad part of that, and that comes off on screen as well. The yeah. fact that. I've just accepted that this is what I'm going to have to do in this movie. Well, and isn't part of the problem that we referenced in our last episode the idea that the previous movie fucked this movie over with the number of villains? It's an interesting point, but... Because, I I don't know, Two-Face and the Riddler doesn't seem as natural a fit to me. Fuck no. As, yeah. Right, you, they have the same villainy. Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> they have the same villain power. Luck and a riddle. Same fucking thing. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's the worst possible matchup. Um, it's also, I mean, I, I hate when they do this in any movie, but the way that they position the Riddler as a fanboy of Two-Face, that or that dynamic also doesn't work, especially given the fact that you, they clearly can't stand each other. So how the hell can that come off on screen? Um, I don't let, you know, the, but a big, I mean, just to kind of flip it on its head and say one of the big problems here is about, and this is a stain that, is will persist to future superhero movies and superhero movie storytelling. The Riddler's orange origin story just too fucking long. It's too long before he becomes the Riddler. Mm-hmm. And then it just falls completely flat. He, you know, it is the Penguin's just born the Penguin. Right. Joker falls in a vat. Yeah. Right. And he's the Joker. In this fucking movie, the Riddler it's an can't hour even into the figure, movie before he becomes the Riddler. The Riddler can't even figure out what to call himself. Yeah. And he's got the he's got the Frank Gorshin bobblehead on his desk. Right. Like from from the first time you see him, I'm like I was like, that would actually and, and retrospectively I was like, hmm, it'd be actually nice if he just like he just dresses up as the bob- bobblehead on his he just goes, oh, that's what I'm going to look like. That would have done it for me. Yeah, he's got the fight. He's got a Zartan's <laughs> fucking carnival game yeah. in his home. Right. Yeah, the Riddler, the Riddler already exists. And yet it still takes him an hour to get there. covered in question marks, and it takes him 45 minutes to figure out who he should be. Not to mention that the movie's screenplay forgets that the kind of the structuring plot element of this movie is Riddler's series of riddles because he does not have an overall plan and yet he has a series of riddles that draws Batman in to a trap 
a trap that he has not laid because he had no overall plan. <laughs> and yet somehow all these riddles work together. You know right. what I mean? Like they're Yes, yeah. It, it feels like they had both ideas, put them both in, forgot they were both in the movie and had no way to reconcile them. <laughs> that he's that he's making this up on the go because as you said he hasn't decided anything until about an hour into the movie mm-hmm. and then he changes his image over again he does he has a second makeover in this movie uh when he goes from just being the 1960s tv riddler played by frank gorshin to <laughs> some kind of like souped up jim carrey front like jim carrey forward version yeah in the meantime he's doing a single white female on val kilmer's bruce wayne yes that's a lot of identity problems for for one actor never mind one character to deal with agreed and well, and it also felt half-baked, didn't it? Didn't yeah. all of that feel half-baked? Yeah. From the l- moment he meets We've not Bruce even Wayne? mentioned the fact that virtual reality is <laughs> right. involved here. Yeah, right. <laughs> when you say half-baked, you've got to mention virtual reality. He's developed a machine that will allow you to watch fish come out of your screen. You, there's no... Because let, let's not forget, like Hollywood wanted virtual reality in its movies, but did not understand what it was or how it worked, right? No. The Matrix is like the first inkling that someone gets the idea of what cyberspace is. Before that, it was just this and disclosure. <laughs> when, so when was, uh, when was Lawnmower Man? That was like 91, 92? I think it was... Ooh. I think Lawnmower Man was before this. Anyway, uh, um, we'll find out. But it's something. But like, yeah, it's yeah. So we're dealing with all those oh, things. Oh, you're right. Law ninety two. Yeah. So we're dealing with all those things, and it's just. I do, I don't want to be mean. It was. I feel like this was a time before Hollywood knew what to do with Jim Carrey as well. I'm trying to be polite. I think there's here. a lot of things like that going on. It's before they knew what to do with Jim Carrey. It's clearly before what they knew to do with any kind of CGI. It's before what they knew what to do with multiple storylines or so many storylines, despite the fact that they have a movie that preceded it that did it just fucking perfect. And the weird thing is, all you're saying, not the technical bit, but the um, the kind of like managing characters. I feel mm-hmm. that about Batman Returns too. Let's not forget Christopher Walken disappears for about an hour of the movie, and then just <laughs> reappears. Uh, Bat. So does Batman. Um, I don't know why it feels more egregious here. Simply because when they're on screen together. Is none of it is doing anything for anyone. Yeah, I th- I think that's part of it. I think part of why it works in the last movie is that you don't need them because you've got what whatever is on screen is what you need in that moment. 
Plus, you don't have anything on the Batman side in Batman Returns. It's all... It's all about three distinct villains versus Batman. Yes, but you do have at play the idea of the duality of his nature, but you can also see that through the duality of Michelle Pfeiffer's Selena Kyle. So anytime she's on screen, you know, I think he himself says we're two sides of the same coin. No, I understand that, but basically, again, what I'm, I'm politely saying, Batman Returns doesn't waste its time with Robin. This movie does. Yes. In fact, you're, it is... We have a, not brought that up yet, and you are absolutely right. It is the introduction of Robin, which turns out to be the central dynamic in the movie, even though it doesn't appear until 40 minutes in. Right. <laughs> exactly. So... I mean, again, I, it, it's difficult for me because as I'm saying these problems out loud, I'm realizing that 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 it's twofold in Batman and Robin. But well, and I was gonna say because I feel like I feel like you either problem, have all the marbles or no marbles. Yeah, and you don't have a few marbles. <laughs> of this movie is the central problem that they present in Batman and Robin. And Batman and Robin, what they try to do in both movies is give you an arc for Batman. And in both, the arc is weak and comes across as weak and does not work. Yeah. But but the arc for Batman and Robin is, you need to learn to work with me as a team. But they meet in fucking Batman forever. So shouldn't that be their yeah. central problem then? They just seem to work together fine and come together by happenstance. There's pushback mm-hmm. at first. You're a child or you're, you know, you could have done this and you're in danger. You're reckless. Mm. Well, I'm a part of it. So stuff it up your pants, mister. <laughs> and all of a sudden they're just together. Yeah. And so there is no, if you're going to introduce Robin, then the central Problem for those two characters have to be those two characters coming together. In this yeah. movie, that's not at play. No. In this movie, we're focusing on repressed memories of Bruce Wayne. Ludicrous. Like I said, it's the storyline of Hitchcock's Spellbound. It's crazy. Unfortunately, Val Kilmer's not Gregory Peck and Joel Schumacher is not Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, no. Nor is Nicole Kidman Ingrid Bergman, for that matter. <laughs> There's a whole lot of people who aren't. You know, but that's the other thing, you know? I mean, you're not you're not going to say that Nicole Kidman's not talented. You're not going to say that Val Kilmer has no talent. Or that or Tommy Joel Lee Schumacher. Jones isn't an excellent... Of course. Drew Barrymore, too. I enjoy her in a lot of movies. Sure. Not this one. So what... Yes, Drew... What Drew the by the way, Drew Barrymore is wrong. in this movie. <laughs> yeah, we haven't mentioned. And Bane is in Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. There, this this is the beginning of. There's more people in this movie than you think. Mm-hmm. Batman and Robin is worse, but this is still on the. Because also, yeah, Ed Begley you know, Jr., uh, John Favreau. Ed Begley Jr. I was just gonna say, De- Debbie Mazar is in this movie as paired with mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore as Sugar and Spice. But you don't meet those two characters until at least an hour in. Yeah. So you are still being introduced to characters an hour into this movie. 
Mm-hmm. That's one of my notes from the last movie. 30 minutes in, you know everybody and have the backstory of everybody. You know where Penguin came from, what he wants. You know where uh, Selena Kyle started yeah. off and what Catwoman wants. You know mm-hmm. where Batman is and where you know he would like to go. Yeah, they they, they none know, of that's really present here. You, you know what? You know they actually they for for at least Two Face, I was impressed with how efficiently they did his origin story. <laughs> because he's <laughs> just on TV. Problem. Yeah, my only problem with it is you see Batman jumping over a rail, which made me think, was Batman just sitting in on the proceedings in his Batman costume? Yes, but... <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> he was just in court watching but it's just that like, day? You know, just in the same way that I wish, you know, Stanley would have said, I'm going to dress up as my bobblehead. <laughs> it's just like acid on the face, two-face. Simple. Yeah. That's all you need. Uh, but here they, they melt Riddler's origin story for basically the entirety of the movie. Is, is it just about, I mean, you, you talked about the studio note being like, let's front load Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it also about like, this? the people coming, this, this is like Jim Carrey in the peak of his fame. Is it just like, Give him as much up front of Jim Carrey as you can. I don't care whether I think the that story would be, be better. A, yeah. Even if the story would be better without it, just do it anyway. Sure. I think certainly that's got to be at play, right? And, I don't, mean, a, and don't film Bob are... Kilmer in close-up. Because <laughs> <laughs> we are... We are only... One year removed from Ace Ventura. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember it came being, out the I remember same it being year like as a, this movie. It's that thing about being careful what you wish for. Like, you know, as soon as the as soon as it came out that Jim Carrey was going to play the Riddler, you know, I think the majority of people's reaction was like, "Oh, that's the most perfect piece of casting." Of you've course, ever heard. right? Yeah. I don't think anyone's going. I guess Danny DeVito's small, but I didn't think he would like, like, you know, like no one's it's like, yeah, I guess Jack Nicholson smiles like he has an evil smile. But, you, you know, no one's like they were waiting their whole lives for this. But that was very much the press was like Jim Carrey and the role content and style. Bang, like peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah, we, but we all thought that at the time, for sure. But then you get into the movie and you realize, oh, but they're just relying on the fact that he's Jim Carrey and he's got his Jim Carrey stick and they don't know what to hang that on. Yeah. And that so they keep Do you think that Jim Carrey There's so Carrey many Riddlers also, in this movie. Do you think he didn't know what to do with the role at he, this point in his career? Yeah, it looks like it. It I mean, it, it look to me as I mean, this is a big generalization, but He's only ever really worked as a screen, like a movie actor, when he's had a strong director behind him. Mm-hmm. So Peter Weir with The Truman Show, uh, Michelle Gondry. Well, I was just going to say, because Truman Show is 1998, 
I think it's after this. I that... would have liked to have seen mm. like a 1998, 1999 Drew or uh, Jim Carrey take this role on. You know, just more confident maybe as. Because we talked in the last movie about how Danny DeVito is full Danny DeVito, but the penguin is like the character of he is the character of the penguin. This and here, Jim, this... Jim Carrey is not the character of the Riddler. He's Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey as but, the Riddler. But also, if you compare it to Batman Returns, like in a weird way, Riddler's playing the role, play is doing the function of Catwoman because he's also the snarky narrator here. He's the guy who's commenting on how ridiculous yeah. everything's getting and how, you know, doing the kind of insult comic bit too. Sure. So it they've they've saddled him with that. Um, they also just want him to be like Jim Carrey, the comedian. They've not really given him a Riddler that's different from Frank Gorshin's version. Whereas, you know, DeVito's Penguin and, and right. Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman build certainly build on previous portrayals. On of what the we know, but, but they are right. Um but then you know, by the time you and and it's you know, in, on both sides in this movie there's a sense of like you come into it with Tim Burton's Batman or you come into it with the nineteen sixties Batman and by the end of the movie it's become Joel Schumacher's vision of all of it. You know, mm-hmm. the, the ridiculous plot device of the, the suit breaking, so you need to put the new experimental model on with the right. bat nipples. So like he, starts out, he starts out with Michael Keaton's, Tim Burton's Batman outfit and ends the movie with something that, you know, has with that... With his nipple outfit. Yeah, the the erotic sculpture that Joel the Schumacher The erotic, loves. yeah, I was just going to say, right. Um, the fetish Batman suit. And, you know, by the time we get to the end of the movie, the Riddler has gone through his Frank Gorshin stage <laughs> and has come out. But that there's nothing distinct about that Riddler in the same way you're like, you know, what what DeVito and all that physical commitment brings to the Penguin turns it into something new. Here, what Jim Carrey adds on to it is is really just a lot of a lot of vamping, <laughs> for want of a mm-hmm. better word. Yeah. Um, that's not really moving the image of the character on um, in any in any significant way. way. Um, and again, it's like again, it's like when that when that physical commitment that you saw with Danny DeVito as the penguin is misapplied, <laughs> <laughs> you get Jim Carrey's Riddler. Yeah. Like. There's, you you can't look at Jim Carrey's performance and say he is not trying his fucking hardest. No, yeah, to make no. this work. Absolutely, but he's putting his energy in all the wrong directions, is what I'm saying. And I'm sure. Well, I think he's just. I can't tell if he's not confident enough to actually build a character because he's relying on his comedic. I'm gonna say the word shtick, but that that sounds. Well, we we would have. I seen... don't mean to be punitive. No, you know no, but I mean? like... uh, we see it that way. It's easy to see it that way now. At the time, I think people were were lapping it up as different mm-hmm. and energetic. Um, 
So I mean, I, I think you know, it's it's a it's a weird thing. Like he's supposed to bring a kind of dynamic energy to the movie. Chris O'Donnell's Robin is supposed to bring be bringing that too, because you know. But all we get from him is like martial art laundry. Yeah. Oh God, thank you. Right. And you know, that... Chris O'Donnell is introduced into this movie forty-one minutes in. Yeah. All right, hang on. We got to take another break. <laughs> Speaking of timekeeping, yeah, I, I, you know, because we're gonna go down a rabbit hole. L- I know. Listeners, listeners won't know, but um, when Michael looked at his watch there, <laughs> and then said it's forty-one minutes into the movie, <laughs> I thought it was like this watch that was able to like translate movie running times and character entrances, <laughs> which interestingly is like. At this, it's in this movie that we first see Alfred appear on an Apple Watch, right? Batman has like right. an Apple Watch. That, that, um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. The other car, sir. All right. Chicks we'll be right. <laughs> we'll be right I'm back. I'm not Michael Keaton. <laughs> Stop making me laugh. Give us a moment. Listen to a great commercial. We'll be right back. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the 1995 sequel, Batman Forever. We got fucking problems with this movie. What do you think of the title, by the way? I have literally no opinion. On I don't. It. I don't understand. I don't even get it. <laughs> <laughs> it just occurred to me as you now you've said it a few times. I'm like, what's Forever? that about? <laughs> what's that mean? <laughs> like, like he's just that. Like it doesn't even make sense for the character because he's not sure if he wants to be Batman forever. No, he's reluctant Batman in this, isn't he? Yeah. Like pre pre Christopher Nolan reluctant Batman. This movie should be called Batman by Choice. Speak, speaking of that, it's amazing to me like how much and I, I continually forget like how much of uh Batman Begins is in here. Like the falling in the Batcave, mm-hmm. um the the Batman not wanting to be Batman. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is Nolan's whole thing. Yeah. What if there was a Batman who didn't want to be Batman at any point? Um, and 
It, right, there was like a scene where it was like Batman in bed. I'm like, it was like Batman was in his pajamas going out of bed and Alfred was there. I was like, this happens in Batman Begins, I swear. <laughs> and I just think it's funny given like how different those the, those visions are that you get so many of the same things happening. Also, I'm sorry, I never need to see Batman's parents being murdered ever again in a movie. Seriously, why does every director feel like they have to put... I mean, even in Joker, fucking Joker. <laughs> God damn it. Leave us alone. Even, even this time I'm getting fatigued. I'm like, I get it. He's an orphan. Move on. <laughs> When, you know, when an audience has so much familiarity with a singular moment for a character, it's a bit astonishing that we keep coming back to it in movie after movie after movie. Unless unless people are so stupid that they think Alfred is his dad. That's the only way that justifies, <laughs> like, what? Like, some, like, every movie, a studio, a studio note is... Hey, we gotta make sure people don't think Alfred's his dad. Yeah. Like, as if your dad dresses up in tails and fucking serves you soup. Like that. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I've got... Like, as I'm looking over my notes, there, so many, so many of my notes have to do with these moments where I keep saying, I quit this fucking movie. Yeah, what are your what are your opt-outs moments? That's a good way of framing it. I like you know I and I remember specifically in the theater the first time I saw this movie. <laughs> Lucky you, theater, not a yeah. pressurized air cabin. Right? <laughs> As you heard on a previous episode, I first watched this movie on a plane, and watching it still gives me that kind of jet lag, nausea jet-lagged, feeling. Jet lagged, closed in, terrible feeling of claustrophobia. And, and because I think it was playing on a loop, so I think. Oh no! Really? So I think so. Like my memory of it is so skewed. You watched it more than once. Well, yeah, yeah, because I think I think. Didn't they when they showed movies on the on the plane they used to run it a few times and you just I've like never, tuned in I've when I've never you... had that happen to me, no. Cause I used to I I'm a time traveler and I flew in planes in the nineteen forties. <laughs> I am the Rocketeer. Oh man. Anyway, carry on. But so there are moments, you know, there's a big chase scene and to escape when the Batmobile launches a a harpoon gun right. and drives up the side of a building. Uh-huh. That's a moment where I fucking quit this movie. Yeah. It it's it's a I mean we we I already mentioned the the martial arts laundry scene and that's a great example of like over tinkering with a scene just not being able to leave until it, alone. it becomes useless because like that that scene is like it's a nice like character scene between well it's like basically the only character scene we've had for robin so far of right. like finding out about robin establishing his relationship to alfred and midway through the scene they decide just to make it make him doing kung fu with vests like <laughs> yeah. and that says it all about this movie it's like it's it's got some good foundations built by Tim Burton quite literally right um 
that it refute that but it just can't stop tinkering with them and in those moments where i think you know you just want to go full adam west batman one of the least favorite moments is something that as a fan of that show you'd think i would love which is when robin says holy rusted metal batman holy rusted metal yeah and then he says oh no look it's rusted metal and it's holy it's i no, hate it's that holy i hate it yeah i hate that too. not not because it's not a good joke it is but because in the abstract but what it what it is is like saying it's saying we like it's a tease. It's saying we're leaning into the 1960s Batman. We're going to make that. exactly, And then talking itself out of it. Right. And saying, actually, no, we kind of want to pull back on that. Like you can feel a sort of studio executive like not deciding which way they want to go in that moment. And I just, it's depressing. No, to me, it's more like, I don't feel a conscious choice to pull back from it. Like, pulling back from it is part of the joke for them. Like, to me, it's just they don't get it. Yeah, that's true. You know, they don't get that Joel... That's what Joel Schumacher is doing. He is, cre- you know, he's doing a 60s version Yeah. in the 90s well, of, of the 60s TV show. But, but this... Given what came next, given that Batman and Robin comes next and... It is so much more identifiably that. I wonder what's holding him back here. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, you know, when you go back in the end to competing visions, you know, you have a, a producer who sees things one way and a director who sees things the other way and all the writers and all the actors in the middle not knowing whose vision to say, stay true to. Um, because... I, I just that makes well. Uh, this I guess, movie. I was going to say it doesn't make a... sense, but with him as the producer, do you think that's part of it? Do you think? I don't that... know. I don't know why this isn't Batman and Robin. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like, exactly. I don't know and, why. But the only thing that's different between these two movies is that Tim Burton's a producer on this one. So, well, yeah. So that doesn't doesn't that indicate that it has to be some of his influence of wanting to keep his world alive i think some whether it's him i don't know but there's someone somewhere who is still committed to a darker more serious idea Mm -hmm. of batman that joel schumacher is fighting against but has to he's not though tom because one of my notes is he wanted to do another darker movie after he did this movie and Batman and Robin, he was begging people to let him do one more that was a lot darker. No, I'm talking about Joel Schumacher. No, I am too. What? Yes. He want, His first idea was to keep it darker. And the producer mm. said, no, that's not what we want to do. Well, I think that's what all the, all the psychoanalysis bullshit is about. Yeah. Unfortunately, so that's competing with be, like Jim Carrey and virtual Tim reality. Burton. It might be Joel Schumacher trying to be Tim Burton, be Tim Burton, but give yeah. them what they want. We solved it. We fucking yeah. solved it. That's what it is. It's I Joel Schumacher. So. Not necessarily that the pressure's coming from because it doesn't sound like Tim Burton gives a fuck at this point. <laughs> right. Um, it's not that Tim Burton 
is putting pressure on Joel Schumacher is that Joel Schumacher is putting pressure on himself, on himself to do Tim Burton's version while doing uh, all the kind of cartoony camp shit that he wants to do too. That's it. No, I don't it. know. I think it's we, no, we solved cartoon, it. The cartoonish shit that the studio wants. But then, what? How do you explain Batman and Robin? How can you? How I can think you, you just. Lose? I think. I think he just. How gives can you lose it. so much of? I mean, there's literally no. I think he literally just gives into it and says, "Listen, if this is what they want, then I'm going to give them the biggest." Well, he's very good at it. Then he's very good at that shit, and he should make more totally. movies like that. He's very good at camp. Yes, but here something is. Something is telling... This like, movie's in limbo between the two yeah. worlds. Right. Um, and, you know, they try... The, again, it's like... I mean, sometimes literally on screen, Tom, like this uh, moment where Harvey's... And not like we haven't been over Harvey Dent's duality seven times in this movie already when we finally see Sugar and Spice and they're talking about the fucking dinner they're cooking for him that night and you have the whole white side and the whole like the roasted pig on one side yeah i mean fuck it's so laborious yeah I, but i you know i i think i think the psychoanalysis stuff is one element where it wants to seem smarter than it is the other one for me is like yeah. and again like we talked in the last movie about just the right amount of self-referentiality. Here, it kind of wants to parlay its superficiality into self-referentiality. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Jim Carrey saying, uh, you know, was that over the top? I can never tell. Right. And there's, lo- you know, there's references, all those things about references to television and studio, like merchandising, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Uh which again they do in the next movie, and for some reason I have no right. problem with it there. Like the the Amex card and all that shit, I was like, ah, oh, it's fun. That's good. That's enjoyable. Here, <laughs> I just feel like you know it's trying to make the best of a bad job. They're like, we're a pretty superficial movie. We should probably throw in some smart one-liners that show we know how we know how ridiculous we're being. And yeah. for some reason, they do that in the next movie, but for some reason, it's just like. It works for you in the I next movie. I don't know. Movie. It's just fun. It's it's like it's it's in the spirit of f- having fun at its own expense. I'll give this, you that. The, the, at the this very is not, least, the next movie is. This is, is we're better than this. And that's the, what yeah, I don't is like. In that spirit, yes. It's this is like we're better than this. Really, we would make a good movie if it wasn't for all you plebs. I think that's what <laughs> I don't like about this movie. Like it's right. talking down to its audience. When it's just as just as much of a scumbag as they are. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I would tell you about the most offensive scene in this movie. Go. I'm sure you'll agree. Robin's Joyride. Oh, yeah. Talk about... We, we talked about how timeless the last movie s- seemed. Right. This movie has 1995 branded into its bat butt. This fucking movie starts with with the starts with or not starts, but like in the first 20, 20 minutes or so start has a line that says the bat signal is not a beeper. No, a beeper, a beeper. Yeah, this movie firmly plants itself in the mid 90s. Day glow and ultraviolet paint. Yes. And you know what? There's a neon. 
There's a neon Dia de la Morta gang in this movie. As as I was as I was like writing that down, I was like, well, that's just so 1995. I thought, actually, didn't they do this in the like View to a Kill? When was that? It's like this movie is. I was going to say, already yeah. dated. Yeah, this movie could because the neon stuff is like a late 80s. Yeah. Mid this to movie late 80s. It's like already an anachronism. Ugh. Um, but just, just, yeah, just that, that kind of simultaneous fear and fetishization of people of color that happens in that scene. That connection of the idea of, of like working class people of color, the urban crime all those associations leave right. a really bitter taste in my mouth mm-hmm. i i just I, I well this... as does as does this give and take this push and pull between batman and robin over whether or not it's okay to kill harvey because yeah. batman keeps telling dick grayson that killing Harvey's not going to make you feel better, mm-hmm. which I think is accurate. But you have moments where Robin is saying things like, okay, I want to be a true partner, but I can't promise I'm not going to kill Harvey. And Batman just says, every man's got to go his own way. Mm. And meanwhile, it's you know it's disingenuous... For Batman, who is still the Batman from Batman Returns and the first Batman. Yeah, that's really important. Don't kill people when you are killing fucking people left and right. All day, every day. Mm -hmm. Now, if there was more made out of the effect that was having on him, okay. Yeah. But that's not a part of this story. Yeah, it's... You talk about this movie being in limbo. That's such a good description of it. I think, you know, again, part of the problem is this wants to be, this wants to be at least at the level of serial storytelling, a continuation. Because let's not forget, Nicole Kidman talks about Catwoman too. Yeah. She sort of says, you know, I grow claws or whatever, you know, to, and then you'll find me attractive. So we're not putting the past behind us but we're rebooting everything else. Right. And that's a weird position for a... Well, that... And, and, you know, we've talked about the idea of legacy characters. This movie has legacy actors. Yeah. Alfred and Commissioner Playing those characters that carry over from the first movies. Right. But Alfred's really... I mean, you know, Alfred's really the only one that kind of grows to, like, Batman and Robin is unthinkable without Alfred. Mm-hmm. And even in this movie, I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like, everything that he says and does is all that's keeping me from shooting myself in the head. Can I ask you another question? Yes. In film. <laughs> oh, God. In film, can Batman work with Robin? That's a really good question. Christopher Nolan would say no. Right. One of them has to be incapacitated. Mm-hmm. While the other does their job. Yeah. Um. 
Like the second it that, should that shouldn't it? Robin is added to this movie. <laughs> Batman stops working as Batman to me. Isn't isn't the the fact that isn't it the same problem as the Riddler where you have to go through Robin's origin story as well? If you didn't have that burden, if it just started out in the movie and Val Kilmer wasn't right, like what Val Kilmer wasn't a Keaton hangover. Robin was just there, and they talked about how they got together, but we never see it, and it doesn't take up screen time. Because Batman and Robin comes out of the gate with them both working together. I'm like, kind of like this. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm into it. Because Except no one's... that they recycle jokes from this movie. They recycle, they recycle jokes, and then they have Chicks sexual... the car. And then they have romantic competitiveness, which is not really where that dynamic needs to go. No, um, yeah. So... But it's also based on pheromones that are just <laughs> gone up their nostrils... One of the 7,000 times pheromones are going up hey, people's nostrils in that movie. If, if it's, you know, if it, if it confuses a man like Commissioner Gordon, then, then that <laughs> pheromone would mind. work on anybody. <laughs> um, but, but uh, you know, like, I, there's something, the, the way that the next movie starts with them, they're just working together and it's accepted is, a, to me, a much better starting point. Because here, you never get to anything but him moving past his origin story by right. getting yeah. rid of Two-Face. And again, that's a, like... Which he doesn't do, by the way. Like, well, it's well, but what like, Batman does that kills Harvey Dent. Like, the the false equivalence... The, like, there's so much false equivalence in this movie. And then we pan up to Robin's, you know, orgasm-breathing shot of watching him fall and die. Sorry, go it's ahead. Pronoun- it's pronounced joygasm. <laughs> Which is something that, first of all, I'm surprised people were like gasming words in 1995, like Jim right. Carrey did. Secondly, this movie could not be described as a joygasm. Um, <laughs> but with with regards to to Robin, it's like like the Two Face killed your family, but that seems really inorganic. Like that's something that happens in the course of the movie versus it's something that like. The penguins live with the fact that he's deformed and orphaned his entire life. Batman's dealt with him being orphaned, parents being murdered his entire life. It's just happened to Dick. Like, in the movie, 40 minutes into the movie, when we're not really focusing on anything in regards to that. Like, I had to keep reminding myself that Two-Face did that. Yeah, Like, it could have just as easily been the Riddler or someone completely unrelated to the story. (laughs) Like, it, it doesn't... So I'm just like, he's got that little, it's not an arc, is it? It's like a, I don't know what you call it, like a trough. Yeah. <laughs> he's got his trough in this movie. Not an arc. Uh, a lot, He's got his flat line well, in this movie. Well, that's the other thing. Speaking of arcs, you know, we're, we're supposed to be uncovering repressed memories for Batman. Does that go anywhere by the end of this movie? They make so much of it always. I don't tr- think so. He just decides. This is what I mean about superficial. His uncovering of memories. Yeah. Like, now I will be Batman by choice because I'm remembering the red book. Like, it's so weak. It's <laughs> but so this, weak. This is and what stupid. I mean about, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very superficial movie with all this window dressing to make it look more intelligent than it is. And 
like what it all what all that psychoanalysis stuff all all boils down to is that they find out Bruce Wayne is Batman. There's like a thousand ways you could have done that that are more interesting. Right. Yeah. Because they they see Bruce Wayne's memories on the virtual reality lawnmower man camera. Yeah. Um and it's like it's like okay, so yeah, yeah, so like I love the fact that so much is made in not just this movie but in all the movies about keeping Batman's identity secret. Uh he tells people, Bruce Wayne tells people he's Batman all the time. Multiple times in this movie. Yeah. Uh, And in the previous movie, too. Um, And yet, for some reason, it is this, like... And this is where Val Kilmer's performance doesn't help. Like, I'm not blaming him. I think he's, you know, he was the wrong wrong man for the job and and wasn't getting directorial support. He seems, especially as Bruce Wayne, he seems to be playing the idea of Bruce Wayne. Than just being like Bruce that. Wayne. But also, like, you realize in retrospect, even though you don't think about it at the time, how much Keaton is distinguishing Bruce Wayne from Batman in his portrayal. Right, exactly. You, but it's such a good it's such a it's such a seamless performance, you don't think of them as two different things. As two different things. Until another character actor come character, another actor comes in <laughs> and mucks up the works. Doesn't do any kind of vocal or facial or behavioral dis- differentiation. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you need a bit of that. <laughs> otherwise, it's... Otherwise, you know, Nicole Kidman would be like, oh, you're Batman. You sound like Batman. Like... You are Batman, aren't you? You sound like Batman. You look you like Batman. You must be Batman. This yeah. bit of your face really looks like Batman. <laughs> For some reason, Michael... This bit of Michael Keaton's face doesn't look like Michael Keaton when he's in a mask. But yours really does. Yeah. <laughs> So every every basically everyone is lumbered with a a really bad deal. He's such a good Bruce Wayne that in the first movie two characters standing next to him when he says it's from Japan says how do you know that? Cuz I bought it in Japan. Yeah. Who are you? Bruce Wayne. Oh. <laughs> it's I mean it, one of the things that for all it's faults I prefer about Clooney's version is it, it really isn't trying to blend in to a previous Batman. I'll give you that, but I also don't think it doesn't work, but I'll get to that. I don't think it overall works. Um, But I'm like, this guy is this guy. <laughs> yeah. With all the way through with Val Kilmer, I'm like I'm like it's just like a coat hanger. <laughs> He's a human coat hanger. A human... Right. And, you know, obviously his career elsewhere shows that that is not the case. That's not who he is. He is perfectly, he's a perfectly good leading man. He's certainly not, you know, he doesn't feel like he's not up to this job to carry this movie. No, yeah. But circumstances are working against him to the point where he's not doing what needs to be done because the mold has been set by another actor, another director, and it's very particular to that style of actor. There's a mm-hmm. moment where he does like a little smile in this movie. Where he finds out that yeah, Dr. Chase wants Bruce. Right. And yeah. I'm like, 
I, like there is lit- literally nothing I wouldn't pay to have Michael Keaton just do this one scene. Right. <laughs> and then hand back the bat reins. Just yeah. like and it's like, yeah you go, you can have it back now. I just wanted to do this one scene I because I know how to do moment. it and you clearly don't. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's kind of it's kind of all of that, like but as you speak, I'm I'm sort of like, well doesn't Batman Returns do this as well? And so there is there is a there's a there's a magic missing here and a, certainly a chem like an on-screen chemistry between any of the actors Michael yeah. Goff Alfred excluded who as we've said can can get can act with anyone and make anyone else in the scene look good right but but there uh, is no organic chemistry between any of the other actors Also isn't Nicole Kidman exclusively in ADR for this whole movie I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, she doesn't have a character anyway, but yeah, that doesn't, doesn't help. So it's uh, it's problematic. This movie's got fucking problems. But uh, even with this, what 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 what's like the 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 takeaways from this? It was a huge success. You'd expect the next without movie... good reason. You'd ex- oh no! Let, well, let's talk. Let let's talk about what I think is almost the is like the secret reason for this movie's success. It's soundtrack. Yeah, the number of I mean, I think that the seal song more than anything. Yeah, that song was played so much at that time that I had to just stop listening to it. It upstaged the movie by far. Oh yeah, um, but it was so popular that I think it actually helped this movie garner as much money as it did yeah because it's like i mean because that is a his, great his signature song. song kiss from a rose yeah. is pretty much his signature song now yeah and you know you ask most people they probably wouldn't know it was from joel schumacher's batman forever <laughs> <laughs> i would but i'm not but, normal. But yeah uh, but and the, you know you two are on the soundtrack who at this point are one of the biggest bands in the world yeah, and it's funny because that song That really does, does sound not... like a song from a Batman soundtrack. Oh, I don't think it matches this movie though no. at all. Like it's the good. second I... those I hate start... you too, but I really like this song. See, I really like you too, but I don't like that song when it starts for the the credits, I'm like, turn this garbage song off. Like it just doesn't seem to fit for this movie. Yeah. There's also a like uh, wrapping up the movie when um, uh, Stanley's in the aside. Is his name Stanley? No, that's the mask. What's his name? <laughs> Jim Carrey's character. <laughs> Edward. Um, right? Edward. When he's in Arkham yeah. Asylum, uh, Odo from Deep Space Nine, who for some reason has very high billing in this movie, um, <laughs> is uh, appears as a character called Dr. Burton. Yeah. With Tim looking very much like Tim Burton. Looking very much like Tim Burton. And I wonder whether this was like an on-screen tribute to... It was. To it was Tim just Burton leaving the franchise forever. It, it was just an homage to him. But I it's remember kind of, reading It's that. like interesting. And then, but then... Oh, we got to talk about the, the running towards the camera. Yeah, that's the last, yeah. Which ends like this that? movie and the next movie. Uh, yeah, these movies, you know... Start and finish exactly the same way. Yeah. 
Do you um, like the running in front of the bat signal? I do. I like I like that it. I mean, that's you know that's a direct pull from the '60s TV series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was the titles that da 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 da. I my note is all right. I kind of yeah, like yeah. the logo I mean, run. What I kind of liked about it was that, and also the way that Nicole Kidman's scene wrapped up is a little more practical than the way that the previous two movies have wrapped up in kind of teasing us into thinking that, I mean, no one would want Nicole Kidman in the next movie, but it's pretty clear she's not coming back. Right. And it's pretty, and like, so, and I guess, I guess that Dr. Burton moment is like a kind of handover. It's like handing the reins to Joel Schumacher. And then, you know, we're putting that image of them running towards the camera to say, you know, it's a very different, it's a very different kind of Batman. And also that, you know, we're kind of, we're stopping like the continuity that we've had up to this point. It's kind of a full, like a yeah, period yeah, on that. Yeah. It's like saying, we're going to end these, like, it's not Alfred in the limo anymore. <laughs> no. We're going to end it with this image, almost like a logo, really. It's almost mm-hmm. like Stephen J. Cannell Productions or something. Right, right. It's like, a Joel we're Schumacher missing, production. We're missing the floating piece of paper. Yeah, might as well say, a Joel Schumacher film. I think it does, yeah. doesn't it? It does say, like, a Joel Schumacher film immediately after that. Does it? I think so. Um, You're the credits guy. It's in my credit <laughs> check, so I'm assuming it's it's true. Uh, you All know, in right. the sense that they've gone full circle and... You know, the Riddler is not going to reveal Batman's identity, even though earlier in the movie he shouted, I'm Batman, I'm Batman. <laughs> Harvey, I'm Batman. With thousands of people around. Um, not even the person next to him heard him. Uh, and yeah, I mean, th- speaking of like passing the reins on, I think the moment at which you saw Tim Burton like evaporate from this franchise was the circus mm. scene in this movie. Because Absolutely. how Tim Burton handles a circus scene and how Joe Schumacher yes. does it is perhaps the greatest difference between them. Yeah. It is, in Schumacher's eyes, it is all color, no creep. <laughs> right. And Burton manages to do both. Right. So, yeah, I, I again, it's like I, I get and I get that feeling of like the movie sort of it's like, let's just get through that. We've said this so many times about so many movies. Let's just get through this. And then the next one and then will be the, in one. the next one will start something. Yeah. And then the next one is is. Could not be less. Well, starting it, something. And there's no more Val Kilmer <laughs> as well. No, we don't even I mean that we haven't really. Put, but you know, I mean, like, you, you don't most, miss him, right? Are we we we're old, so we think of this kind of weird, like every new movie you get a Batman, a new Batman, yeah, thing right. as yeah. normal. <laughs> people, other people listening to the podcast will be used to Christian Bale doing it for three movies, Ben Affleck doing it for at least three movies, um, and now Robert Pattinson. And now, so you know, it's it is more like the kind of Bond model, but here it's like yeah, it's like new new new, new Batman who dis <laughs> in every movie, yeah. and that's weird. That's one it of is. the things that adds to the weirdness of these. Well, movies. in sequel dumb, it it reeks of, uh oh, <laughs> that's you know, 
when you have to constantly change out your actor in sequels, that's yeah. a problem for your sequels. It, yeah, right. it absolutely, and it, it's also, but it also has the distinction of like they're all really good in their own right, but not all of them work as Batman. Mm-hmm. So no one's saying Val Kilmer cannot carry a movie and be a superhero. No, of course in a movie. not. George Clooney as a superhero is a great idea. He's probably mentally scarred and would never do it. But um, <laughs> like, it's just not this. Yeah. And Keaton is wonderful, but he had two movies versus the you know just, just the, the anthology one. effect. Um. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen. We have said enough about Batman Forever. If you have anything you need to add, please let us know. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. Please rate and review us. It really does help. We want to climb charts. All right. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. We are going to... You'll be hearing us next time for Batman and Robin. Say goodbye, Tom. Does anyone else feel like a fried egg? (laughs) Perfect. So long, everybody. I'm really hungry. (laughs) 